Hello, I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan. In this pediatric chat, we'll be talking about Lyme disease. Such a hot topic. Joining us today is, of course, my co-host, Dr. Michelle Carton. Hi, Hello. Michelle. Hi, Jay. And Dr. Bill McNett. Hi, Bill. Hey, how are you? And we have a very special guest, Dr. Karen Raven, who is Chief of Infectious Disease here at the DuPont Hospital for Children. She's joining us in this discussion on this very hot topic of Lyme disease. Bill, you want to kick off the questions? Sure. Um, so a lot of questions. But I think the most pressing, the question that I get the most is, my child has a tick on them. What do I do? <laughs> and their undercurrent question is, my child now has Lyme disease, do I need to treat? <laughs> yeah, so like Jay mentioned, this is a hot topic, especially right now, this year. There are lots of ticks out there this year. It's a big season for ticks, probably related to our weather. Uh, we had a very mild winter. We've had a, we had a very wet spring. Mm -hmm. Those two factors lead to lots of ticks. We're having a lot of anticipating that we're gonna see a lot of Lyme disease. And we have seen a lot of cases so far this year. Mm -hmm. So, and we've had a lot of parents calling with concerns about tick bites. Yeah. I found a tick, what do I do? Do I need to be worried? Do they need medicine? These are all very, very common questions. Mm -hmm. So if you find a tick on your child, and I should preface this with saying, you should look for ticks. Mm -hmm. Especially if kids are outside, they're playing, they're doing sports, they're coming inside, look for ticks every day if they're playing outside. And then make sure that they get a shower within about an hour or two of being outside and playing. Because if they have any ticks on them, Ticks will take a little time to get attached someplace. So if you take a shower within an hour or two of coming inside from playing, you're gonna wash the ticks away before they have a chance to even attach. Mm -hmm. But if you happen to find one, the best thing to do is remove it. So get a pair of tweezers, grab the tick as close to the skin as possible, and then with gentle upward tension, just pull it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as long as you get all the whole tick out and the mouth parts and everything, you are good to go. Mm -hmm. So what's next then? I mean, if the bite's there, they've I've pulled a tick off of my kid, now what? So one of the important things to think about too with this is whether the tick's engorged or not. So that is an indication of how long the tick has been attached. So if the tick is just a tiny little thing that looks like a poppy seed, you don't have to worry, that's not an engorged tick. That hasn't been on very long at all. Just pull it off and then keep an eye on the area where you pull the tick off for any development of a rash. And the rash, if you get Lyme disease, the rash is gonna happen several days to a couple weeks after the tick bite. So that's the critical time to watch for that. If the tick is engorged, so the tick is a little bit larger, and that means that it's full of a blood meal, then that tick may have been attached for longer than 24 hours. And those ticks, if they are infected with Lyme disease, can transmit it. So there may be a role in some people um, to give antibiotics prophylactically after a tick bite if the tick has been on for more than 24 hours, if it looks engorged. Okay. Who are those patients? Because those are the phone calls we're getting mostly right now, are that you know, the, there was a tick, it does seem to have been engorged, we pulled it off, there are no symptoms right now. Who are the patients that you recommend us pre-treating or prophylactically treating? So those patients who have, so if the tick is engorged, 
They think it's been on for more than 24 hours. You can give one uh, dose of doxycycline, so it's a single dose, and that will be that will provide prophylaxis. Now, that's for, only for patients, of course, who can take doxycycline. Mm-hmm. And so for the younger kids, there's no recommendation for prophylaxis in that age group, so just close observation. Mm. Okay. And so what age cutoff are you looking at then for that dose? About age eight. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And I guess the the first question to start with as well is what is Lyme disease? What causes Lyme disease? Mm, Good question. So Lyme disease is caused by a bacteria called Borrelia burgdorferi, and that is carried by the deer tick. The infection or the bacteria itself is actually, the ticks pick it up from mice. So you may have Dr. Greenspan mentioned mice, something about mice earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, White-footed mice carry this infection The ticks feed on the mice when they're very small, and then they can become infected and then carry it for the rest of their lives. And ticks have a two-year lifespan, and they go through three stages of development, and they need to eat Mm -hmm. a lot. Wow, that's a long time to live. For a tick. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, this is an endemic area, meaning that this part of the country is just full of, of deer tick and Lyme disease. So there is a time where we used to like try to identify what type of tick this is. Is there any, is there any benefit to identifying the tick anymore? Or do we just say a tick is a tick is a tick? <laughs> Talk. <laughs> <laughs> so there are other tick species that are common in our area as well. So it can be helpful to, to try to identify it. I don't think think that you need to send the tick out for identification to a lab that's actually very expensive and it's kind of hard Mm -hmm. to find a lab to do that some of the state extension labs entomology labs will Mm -hmm. will do it but it's pretty easy now to google a picture yeah Mm -hmm. of of a deer tick yeah that's what a lot of my parents do i mean they're pretty resourceful Mm -hmm. um or they'll take a picture of it and send it Mm -hmm. right i can google it right nowadays with with cell phones and take picture of everything so um yeah so if you can identify that it is a is a deer tick then that that can be helpful Mm -hmm. um Deer ticks carry certain types of infection, other infections, including Lyme disease. Other tick species carry other types mm-hmm. of infections. So. Yeah. So I guess any tick bite, you know, you just need to be careful and watch. Mm-hmm. But if you yeah, think absolutely. it's a deer tick, then we should think about treating. So why don't we treat the younger kids? There's just no data to say that amoxicillin, which is our drug of choice in the younger kids for treatment, that that's effective for prophylaxis against Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. So we just don't have enough studies to show that. Is there any downside to giving a dose of amoxicillin? Might not work. It might not work. I mean, because <laughs> you know our parents who are pretty yeah. sophisticated, they're going to be asking, well, what's the harm in yeah, giving right, right. one dose of amoxicillin mm-hmm. if it might prevent my child yeah. from getting Lyme disease? The studies that they did to look at um, the effectiveness of prophylaxis were all in adolescents and adults. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really know for sure whether it's going to be effective in the younger kids or what, if we use doxycycline for say, for example, what dose would be the right dose to mm-hmm. use for those kids. So, And I guess the question then is if we did give a dose of prophylaxis with amoxicillin, would it then change the way that Lyme would present? 
and make it more oh. confusing for us to make the diagnosis because it's that's possible. something else that families might want to know too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't know. We don't know. Mm-hmm. So I generally don't recommend it for the younger kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what percentage of tick bites lead to Lyme disease? Do we know that? That, I don't think we know, but we do know, or we get information every year about the percentage of ticks in the area that carry Lyme disease. Okay. So the CDC and the state um, labs track that information. And so I'm not sure what we're up to in this area, but sometimes it's between like 15 to 18%. So it's okay. it's definitely not 100% of them. Okay. But, um, you know, a significant proportion. Okay. Oh. And are there certain times of the year that you find that that Lyme is diagnosed more than others? Yeah. So the ticks are most active in the spring and summer months. And so that's when we see our majority of cases of people presenting with rashes and kind of early Lyme disease uh, manifestations. Uh, But we do see Lyme disease kind of through the fall as well. And sometimes during a mild year like the one we've had um, through the Mm -hmm. winter time, Mm -hmm. too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're talking to our patients, our parents, about the child less than eight years of age, and we're saying, okay, let's just watch for symptoms, what are we watching for? We're watching for the rash. Okay. Yeah, and that, that initial rash is going to occur at the site of the tick bite. And so that's mm-hmm. why, if you know where the tick bite is, mm-hmm. keep an eye on that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you're looking for the start of, um, I mean, right away you can get a little local irritation at the tick bite. That's not unusual to have a little tiny bit of redness at the bite. That should go away within a day or two. What we're talking about is a rash that develops within several days to a couple weeks after the bite. So the Mm -hmm. bite itself is totally healed. The tick is long gone. What you're going to see is an area of redness on the skin that kind of starts and starts to spread outwards. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it becomes the classic bullseye rash that we think about with Lyme disease with an area of redness in the center, some clearing around that, and then another ring of red. Mm The rash of Lyme disease is called erythema migrans. Erythema means red, and migrans means migrating or moving. And mm-hmm. so this rash, very characteristically, is going to become bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. over time. So I've seen them where they're about the size of like a dinner plate. Mm-hmm. I mean, big. It's pretty cool when you see it. I mean, right. not for the patient, yeah. no. right, but right. for us. Right, it's right. like, oh, I know oh, what that know is. What that is. <laughs> right, right. It's one of the few rashes it's pretty, where you can. Yeah, pretty classic right. when you see it. What is the percentage of patients that present with that type of rash versus other symptoms? So that's a good question. We think probably the majority of patients are going to present with a rash. Probably about 70% present with either a single erythema migraines rash or multiple rashes. Mm-hmm. And, but there are other symptoms because, right. you know, the 30% mm-hmm. who may not have a rash or that sure. the parents aren't looking for it right. or forget to. It be in a tough spot. It can, yeah. And also well, it can be like when yeah. you're an older kid, I mean, what, mm-hmm. you know, 13 year old is going to let their parents look exactly. at their bottom for right. the rash, exactly. right? It's, it's like, true. that's not going to happen. The ticks right. like to find a spot that they can hide and stay attached in. So they don't mm. want to get knocked off. Mm-hmm. So they tend to go for all the nooks and crannies. I've found a them in... Nook and cranny. Uh, I have found them in <laughs> belly buttons, behind yeah. the ear, oh, inside yeah. the ear, yeah. the groin area, especially uh, yeah. if you're rolling around in the grass. Yeah. You can get they almost can, anywhere. They can get anywhere, huh? Right, Between right. your toes. Yeah. And it's hard you know, with a full head of hair really to find these small ticks also. But do they attach on the scalp? They yes. can, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. They can attach on okay. the scalp, behind the ears, yeah. the nape okay. of the neck. Yeah. So you have to... To be really careful. You do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to scare anyone, but I know, I know. You really have to look thoorly. Yeah, yeah. It's making the itch. So, <laughs> for, so for those other thirty percent, so we, you know, we don't have a rash. We're 
we're watching. I mean, I always think of fever. Mm-hmm. I think of joint pain. Yeah, flu-like um, symptoms. I like to call oh, it like yeah. a flu-like illness. So okay. typically fever, maybe, mild fever, headache, body aches, mm-hmm. um, he- joint pains, like you mentioned, sometimes mm-hmm. are common, but... Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the early stages. And when does that occur after the bite? Is that within days so see, or within weeks? So those kind of flu-like symptoms can occur right, occur right around the time of the rash. Okay. The initial rash. But if there's no rash, then you just have same the... Timing. Yeah, yeah. Same timing. Yeah, same timing. Okay, so it's yeah. going to be it's a couple, about, it's days about a couple to weeks. weeks. Yep, okay. days to weeks. Okay, so it can yeah. be pretty soon after then. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Like, do you ever recommend testing? Like, all right, you have a tick bite in two weeks, we should draw blood. Some are, people will ask for that right. you know, because mm-hmm, they're concerned. Had, yeah, yeah, I have patients who have asked yeah. our parents. And I guess that's, that's a really good question because it brings up, well, what, how do we test for Lyme disease? Yeah. So we have a blood test. It um, is what I like to call an antibody test. So it's not t- detecting the infection itself. It's detecting your body's reaction mm-hmm. or response to the infection. So whenever we get sick with something, our bodies make antibodies to that. And we can measure the antibodies in the blood. But it takes several weeks to get a level of antibodies that you can measure. So it's really about three to four weeks before you can send an antibody-type test. And so that, in for Lyme disease, would be about four weeks after the tick bite yeah. is the best time probably. If, yeah. if there's concerns... You know, and you want to send the, the blood work. Don't send it right away because it's yeah. going to be negative. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. then you have sort of a false sense of security. Yeah, sure. and that's an, a, such an important point. But do you suggest that we should be getting a blood tests four weeks later? So really, these are, these are pretty expensive tests. Yeah. This is not um, without some cost. And so if we send a test on every single person who got a tick bite, there'd be a line out the, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the lab. I don't think we need to test everybody, but I would say if there are concerns, say in that younger kid that you're talking about where we maybe couldn't give them a prophylactic dose of antibiotics, but that tick was engorged and parents are really worried. So you offer them testing, you know, four weeks after that, that can at least put their mind at ease a Mm -hmm. little bit that, okay, we're yeah. okay. Right. This That's a really good. Yeah, point. yeah. And, about, and that that kind of patient population, yeah. I think. Would what be about good. the kid who has a classic erythema migraines? Mm-hmm. You already rash. know what it is. Good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so don't I don't have do to it. test. I no, think sometimes, no. like I'm looking for reasons not to. Right. Yeah. And well, and parents also ask because that's yes. the other complicating the, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to segue from what Bill was asking, a lot of times parents will also ask me after treatment is done, mm-hmm. do we need to test now? Well, and so what do you tell those parents? So. Again, back to the antibody test. And I always explain this to families in pretty clear language. So you, your body makes antibodies. We can, we can measure those antibodies about four weeks after you get the infection. But here's the tricky part. Antibodies don't go away with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. They're going to be there for months to years because that's how our immune system works. That's a good thing. That's how you know, our immune system is protecting us from getting the same infection again. So it doesn't make any sense to check the labs again mm-hmm. it's going to look the same yeah, yeah. so I, I try to tell people not to repeat the testing you could i suppose test everybody like six months 12 months after and you'd see mm-hmm. those antibodies slowly fading away as long as they don't get exposed again yeah but, but they'll still be there they'll, they'll be yeah, there for a long long yeah, time yeah. yeah i don't get a lot of push from parents to test i think they're reassured if i can say oh no this is lyme disease we're going to treat mm-hmm. i don't but I, I do have parents occasionally who will want tests done 
So yeah, the other question I get asked a lot is if you make the diagnosis and it's treated, what does that mean long term for their mm, child? Yeah. Are they going to have chronic issues from Lyme? There's so much in the literature now about chronic Lyme. Mm. And I'd say there's so much on the internet about chronic yes, Lyme. Yes. Maybe that's yeah, a better way to put it. Yeah, it's, it's out there. And that's what they're reading. That's what they're reading. So what? Yeah. So what is the good answer? So. You know, there is a lot of, I think, unfortunately, a lot of misinformation on Lyme disease out there. And and there's a lot of uncertainty, too. You know, we know there are some people who have chronic symptoms following Lyme disease. But um, as far as kids, and I always try to um, reassure parents, it is rare for us to see kids who have long-term problems after Lyme disease. Very, very rare. I mo- almost 99.9% of the kids I see who have Lyme disease who we give antibiotics to get better and do just fine and have no long-term issues. And I try to explain it that I think most of those people where you were hearing about these long-term issues, they were the ones who maybe weren't diagnosed right away. They were didn't get the, you know, weren't treated with antibiotics or they have other confounding and other illnesses that are going mm-hmm. along with it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really hard to say, but I try to steer, steer people away from that, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kids, I don't think we have a lot of evidence that there's there's really truly chronic Lyme yeah. disease out there. Yeah. yeah. Especially in the ones who get treated. If you're treated and your symptoms are better. Yeah, that's it. You're most likely yeah. Yeah. Good. You're that's better. Yeah. 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 So let's say we've made the diagnosis. Um, can you talk about antibiotic choices? Because I know, as you mentioned before, we usually use amoxicillin for our, our younger kids. What about for kids who are uh, allergic to amoxicillin? Yeah, so if you're under the age of eight and you're allergic to amoxicillin, um, you can give a cephalosporin antibiotic, mm-hmm. and that's pretty effective. Um, for older kids, the best antibiotic is doxycycline. Mm-hmm. For kids mm-hmm. over age eight, adolescents, up to adolescents and adults. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I uh, have dealt with is, you know, when kids come in, if they have ear infections or pneumonias, we usually treat from seven to 10 days, usually mm-hmm. 10 days. So for Lyme, we treat longer. I kind of think about it as a, you have a single rash, 14 days is adequate treatment. Mm-hmm. You have multiple rashes, been there a little bit longer, Again, the Red Book now says like 14, I think, days for that. But 14 to 21 days is pretty reasonable for that. That's how long we t- treat some other manifestations that we can see in other um, problems with Lyme disease, like meningitis, um, the cardiac problems and such. And then for arthritis, I really advocate treating for a full 28 days for the arthritis. Okay. Because yeah, the parents look at me like, what do you mean I have to treat this long? Yeah. And it's yeah. hard, I think, yeah. to remember for that long, especially mm-hmm. after they're better and sure. hard to maintain I find that. a lot of people just give everybody 21 days. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. it's kind of right in the middle and then mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. call it a day. Mm-hmm. Right. Figuring they're going to be right no, most so, of the time. But it's good to know that there is some, there's, there are those nuances as to how long we should treat. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the Red Book. For a lot of people don't know what a red book is. Oh, yeah. Uh, can our, you just just give us sure. a blurb? Yeah. So the red book is um, published every couple of years by the American Academy mm. of Pediatrics. And it is kind of our Bible for pediatric infectious diseases mm-hmm. and uh, updated frequently. And mm-hmm. uh, it's our go-to reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's red. 
And it is really right. the cover right. is right. right. It makes it very easy to find. It yeah. does. We yeah. all have the name, the right. red book. Exactly. Yeah. So it's good. It's fine. Right. One of the things I'm seeing with my families is that they're trying to be as holistic and natural with everything. And when we mm. talk about prevention, they get really nervous when I talk ah. about bug spray. Mm-hmm. So, Bill, I want to find out, first of all, what your family say. And then I would love to hear your opinion on what you tell these families and how do we keep them protected. Um, well, as <laughs> with your families, my families run the gamut, you know, to I'm not putting that on my child to give me the strongest you have. I'm a child is not going to get a dick bite. So you really have to feel out the family and kind of where they're coming from. But can you, Dr. Raven, can you talk about tick prevention, tick bite prevention? Yeah. Like, what do you recommend? So the best way to prevent Lyme disease is don't get a tick bite. There you go. Trick your shower. Try to do that. Get back in the shower. Right, get back in the shower again. No, but, you know, that's almost impossible where we live. You know, let's let's face it. We we are in an endemic area, just like you said. And when it's a very big tick year, if you're going to do anything outside, you're probably going to run into ticks. So the best thing is prevention. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody's afraid of of bug spray, but really products that have 20, 30 percent DEET are very safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want to ingest it or put it in your eyes, but otherwise, it's on your skin. It's very, very safe, even for very young children. I direct parents. There's a, a link on the EPA website. There's a list of products that they've tested that are EPA kind of approved um, for prevention of insect bites. Okay. And they're they're considered the safe products. Yeah. So they, have, they run the gamut from sort of the holistic, more holistic, uh, natural, herbal kind of products all the way to, um, mm-hmm. you know, your deep woods off. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And those kind of things. Well, that's so. the thing is we want to respect where families are coming from. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like anything in parenting. It's that yeah. balance, right, yeah. between. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do get so nervous about Lyme disease and about just how prevalent we're expecting it to be mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're definitely talking to families sure. about it as yeah, well. Sure, yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, I, the other recommendations are like, you know, stay covered up. But yeah. when it's 92 degrees, out. <laughs> you're not going to have your yeah. socks on, you know, your pants I, tucked into your socks. But I also make sure that you're doing a really thorough tick check. Yeah, and I think that's the key kids. thing. And the, yeah. and the issue really becomes that sense of privacy that, mm-hmm. you know, at some point mm-hmm. most kids um, really develop, you know, that they don't want anybody to look at them. And it's really difficult to do a tick check when a child who won't let you look at right, them. Right, so. right. Well, the other part, kind of jumping off of that, is that I also remind parents that it's not just hiking in the woods that exposes you it's the soccer field it's the baseball field absolutely oh we see it like in the city you know that the the parents like where did my child get a tick bite right and it's out there Uh yeah they're very well adapted you know to live close by um where we live yeah and if you think about kind of where where are all our new developments going up Mm -hmm. former Mm -hmm. farmland you know lovely areas Mm -hmm. i live in one myself with mm-hmm. rolling hills and grassy areas mm-hmm. and woodlands, and it's the tall grass. So I always say, like, the baseball field, the soccer field, the, the cross field, those are, like, the yeah. danger zones because yeah. where do we put athletic fields? We put them in these nice open areas, but what's right on the edge there is the tall meadow and then the, and yeah. then the woods. Right. Yeah. And the ticks like that in um, mm-hmm. in-between zone. So they like to get up to, like, the end of a long bit of vegetation, tall grass, um, say a shrub or something like that and Mm -hmm. then they hang out on the very end of it because they can't fly they don't jump 
Mm-hmm. So they do something that's called questing. They stick out their two like two legs and they just wait for something to brush wow. by you. Yeah. And then they latch on and uh, go to town. Just for the record, Dr. Carton is throwing up a little bit <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> just that, that mental questing. image. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You have the coolest I'm job. I'm no longer going outside. It's so much fun. Exactly. We're done. Everyone inside. Well, and that's the but. thing is, I want my families to to be feel safe and to go outside. Yeah. Yeah. I have two children yeah. of my own. I want them out there. Yeah. But I want them out there. Yeah. But I want them to protect us. Yeah. So. The CDC actually has some recommendations. There's a nice handout. Um, that I actually brought with me so you guys could see it, although no one else that's listening can see it, but it's called Lyme Disease, What You Need to Know, um, and it's published by them. They've updated this a couple times, but they have nice recommendations in this about like creating a tick-free zone in your backyard. Mm. Um, and really, it's creating an air, a barrier between your house and the woods and the field and stuff that's like a dry zone. So if you put like wood chips or rocks the ticks, they need moisture to survive. Okay. And so they, they don't like to cross that barrier. Of course, mm-hmm. I say, but the deer can cross it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and the other little things that, so that carry the ticks. But, but and so it works a little bit. But. So actually, too, one thing, a good plug for the CDC. So I think you're referring to the CDC.gov mm-hmm. website. Yes. So that's a great resource. Excellent I use it all the time at work. Absolutely. I'm yeah. sure you do. Definitely. And I always turn my patients onto it, too. So if they're traveling, but this is a great resource. So if you're worried about tick bites and how to prevent, I think going to the CDC.gov mm-hmm. website is really helpful. Um, the um, but let's go back to the mice because oh, the we mice. always think about well, why <laughs> because they're cute <laughs> and furry. They have white feet. Um, but you're talking about the you know we always th- associate with like where there are deer, there may be deer ticks. But mm-hmm. so you know when you're talking about living in the city, we don't have deer in the city, but we do have these mice. Oh, now we have deer in the city. Well, occasionally. The whole Penny Pack Park. Yes, and yeah, but not everywhere. in Center City. Uh, not What's where... that other big park? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're all, they're all, all there. The Fairmont Park. Yeah, Fairmont yeah. Park. They're running around there. Too. Yeah, they are. But um, but. Are, <laughs> But are you saying that the mice also carry this particular yeah, so tick? The, the so mi- the, yeah, and, and the, the mice carry the infection, actually. Yeah. That's where it all starts. Okay. But they also carry the ticks because the tick mm-hmm. has to get up yeah. someplace. Yeah, the baby and ticks the, like to feed on them. And then the ticks them. are questing <laughs> in, the, in Center City where the mice live. Okay, that was my <laughs> yeah. point. That's okay? your point. So people okay. who are city dwellers like me, yeah. we still are at risk. Yeah. It's out there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of the tick life cycle. So the larval stage of the tick, which are the very, very small ones, they hash out from the egg. They're the ones that feed on the small mammals, the mice, the birds. And then they can pick up the infection there and then transmit it to other animals or people that they they Mm -hmm. bite from there. So then usually about uh, from... The larvae are out in the summer. We usually do. they don't bother us so much. They're mm-hmm. they're pretty small, but the next the following spring they molt and become nymphal ticks. Those are the ones that really probably we run we run into as people, larger animals like deer or dogs, okay. horses, okay. that kind of thing. That's the ones that we yeah. we come in contact with. They're very um, active in the spring and summer months, and then they molt molt in the fall, and become adult ticks do their tick things yes and then they die and then well they lay their eggs and then they die and then they die die. (laughs) yeah uh this is great i just want to bring up the one big area just so you get all the hate mail because it's so much fun when you get that camera so it's the it's the patient that it has some 
chronic ailment, right? A arthritis or something like that, and they and the pediatrician or, or whomever gets a lime tighter, and then they it's positive. So first off, are there false what positives to this? Yeah, what do we do? I would say the biggest patient population that we see that happen with these are the tired. Mm-hmm. kids so it's they're they're coming in they're tired they're teenagers or even a little bit younger sometimes they're just tired kids maybe they have headaches and then this prompts some testing for Lyme disease it must be Lyme disease we have to check up oh, you know sometimes those those they might have Lyme disease that's true so there are probably lots of people out there who've been infected never had any symptoms you're running around if we do a test on maybe if we do a test on you you know, you'd come back with a couple positive antibodies or something like that. So when we're looking at the testing, there's two types of antibodies that um, the test tells us about. IgM, which are considered through the early antibodies, they become positive within the first few weeks. And IgG are the, sort of the later antibodies. They become positive after four to six weeks, detectable in the blood. And so when we're thinking about sort of more chronic or long-term kind of problems with Lyme disease, particularly the arthritis, um, joint swelling, that's gonna happen later on. And so you to have a positive test, you have to have at least five out of 10 IgG antibodies present on the, on the test mm-hmm. to be a diagnostic test. So it, a lot of people will have one or two just because they live in this area. Mm. So that's not considered a positive test. And I reassure those people, you're, you're okay. You don't have the infection. You were exposed at some point, probably because mm-hmm. you do stuff like walk in the woods or play soccer or dirt bike or whatever, um, but you don't have the, the infection itself. That's not what's causing your symptoms. Okay. If, on the other hand, you get somebody who tests positive, so you have more than five or more of those antibody bands, and I find out, have you ever had been treated for Lyme disease before? Were you diagnosed with this before? Were you treated before? They say no. I said, well, you know what? We're going to just treat you. Mm-hmm. We're going to get this off the list, mm-hmm. take care of it. That way we, you know, I don't know whether this is really the thing that's causing your symptoms, but now we found that you have this. Let's make sure you don't develop any other problems from it. Mm-hmm. Let's treat you for it now. Do you see those symptoms go away? The- the tiredness or the headaches. Some do, some mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because there, as you know, you know, there's yeah. lots of other reasons for yeah. kids to be tired and have headaches. Mm-hmm. So. But the but, treatment is curative if you treat for yeah. 20 years. Yeah, the antibiotics are very effective, and I think that's one of the important messages that we should mm-hmm. try to bring across to our families is that mm-hmm. the antibiotics do work. And we we don't recommend. Uh, uh, personally, I don't recommend going longer with treatment than maybe 30 days. In some patients who have arthritis, we give them another 30 days or like two to four weeks additional of antibiotics if they're having lingering symptoms. Uh, But those patients are pretty rare. So in general, you know, 28, 30 days, that's it. And that should be enough. So the, can you talk about like the very serious symptoms associated with Lyme disease? Because I always think about it as just being the, the rash and like you said, flu-like symptoms, mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. get to it early and we treat. But we also have all either seen or have heard of patients who've 
uh, had delayed treatment and mm-hmm. really had were really sick. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I would say the, the patients that we see who are sick with Lyme disease would be the ones presenting with meningitis. Mm-hmm. So and they really haven't had the infection for that long, but for one reason or another, it, it does get into their uh, spinal fluid. And so those kids will present with typical signs of meningitis, so headache, maybe some mild fever, neck stiffness, the light bothers their eyes, we call that photophobia, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, more mild symptoms of meningitis than maybe a different kind of bacterial meningitis. Mm-hmm. But um, they can, you know, meningitis is serious infection no sure. matter what it's caused by, so um, that's a definitely a serious infection. The carditis, or cardiac inflammation that's caused by Lyme disease, is also a very serious infection. The heart issues. The heart issues. And so those kids typically will present with maybe chest pain, some shortness of breath, sometimes um, fainting spells, Mm -hmm. things like that. We here generally do an EKG or um, electrocardiogram on all kids who get diagnosed with Lyme disease um, except for, say, the kids with arthritis, because we know they've had it for longer. But any of the ones in that middle range, because we have picked up a couple people with abnormalities in their heart. Um, mm-hmm. But what about kids that we Lyme see in the disease? office? I mean, should we be sending kids for EKGs and for echoes if they have Lyme disease? Not echoes, but EKGs. So that's okay. really the thing. It's an electric uh, abnormality, okay. electrical I mean, abnormality. Something that we can, a lot of places have access to an EKG machine that we can mm-hmm. do in right. the office. Yeah. It's not like we have to send you to the emergency yeah. room. Yeah. But mm-hmm. still, I, I wasn't aware of that. I don't think I've been doing EKGs on our kids with lung disease yeah mm-hmm. have you been i have but because of my previous training mm-hmm. okay. in the emergency room as well okay yeah um but and can i just ask one other main symptom that i've seen sure i saw it in a cheerleader at my kids game and she had she had a uh, uh, facial nerve facial palsy, palsy. Yeah. so and i was told that that's one of the one of the common causes of that is lyme mm-hmm. disease. yeah i would say in yeah. in otherwise healthy kids in a Lyme endemic area, mm-hmm. if they come in with a f- facial droop, facial nerve palsy, the, mm-hmm. probably the most common cause is Lyme disease. Right. Yeah, I've also seen seen more knee swelling associated mm-hmm. with Lyme mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. yeah. than in the past. So there are different presentations, and mm-hmm. and it's interesting. And that's you know, why you know that thirty percent that doesn't right. present with the rash. I mean, the rash is like a no-brainer right, but when you right. have a kid comes in with a facial palsy or comes in with a you know a, a swollen knee mm-hmm. with maybe a, a history of trauma or typically not a history of trauma right. I mean that's what we should be thinking about exactly mm-hmm. okay. yeah for sure right. yeah so you bring up a good point about um, knee swelling so we know as far as the arthritis the most common joint to be affected is the knee so mm-hmm. large joint arthritis mm-hmm. typically so not not going to be in your fingers your hands typically not in the back or the neck but knees could be affected, ankle, I've seen shoulders, mm-hmm. elbows, mm-hmm. hips, mm-hmm. those big, big joints. Yeah. yeah. I also have a question. I've had several families ask me about other viruses and bacteria that the ticks can carry. And there's one in particular called the Powassan virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's received a lot of press yes. lately. Can you yeah. tell us about that? Oh, sure. So um, Powassan virus is very rare. Mm-hmm. There've only been 
I think, 50 or so identified cases um, in the past 15 years in the United States. So very rare. Very rare. Uh, It's most common in um, the mid-Atlantic states, but specifically New York um, state has had a lot of cases, and then in the upper Midwest, Wisconsin and Minnesota. can be a devastating illness, um, presenting with change in mental status, fever, encephalopathy, encephalitis. So inflammation of the brain um, really is the key. No, no preventative treatment there, and no, and no treatment for it either. But um, supportive care is, is mm-hmm. the mainstay. Mm-hmm. But um, extremely rare, also carried by the deer tick, which is, I think, part of the reason why there's been a lot of concern this year, mm-hmm. knowing that uh, we're probably going to have a big uh, deer tick <laughs> season. Yeah, right. But we don't anticipate that we're going to see a lot of increase in those cases. In previous years, when they've had more ticks. We haven't seen an increase in Powassan virus. It's just very, very rare. Okay. So again, back to prevention, mm-hmm. right? Prevention, prevention of is definitely worth a pound yeah. of cure, right? Yeah. 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 So, so Dr. Raven, thanks so much. You've informed us on this very hot topic of Lyme disease. You, you've reassured me. Uh, it's a disease that can be prevented, uh, but if you do get a tick, and uh, try to get it off within 24 hours, and if you don't. Uh, and you're over eight, there's a prophylactic treatment, so see your pediatrician for that. Mm-hmm. And if you're under eight, we can wait and um, treat it effectively then. Mm-hmm. And so chronic disease should not really be a problem for, for kids if, mm-hmm. if managed well by, by you and our teams of uh, your medical home. So thanks, Dr. Raven, for informing us. Thanks, Bill and Michelle. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Very informative. Thank yeah, you very this much. This is great. Thanks, Karen. Oh, you're very welcome. To our listeners, if you have a question about this topic, or if there's another topic you'd like us to explore in a future pediatric chat, you can send it to us by using the question portal on our webpage. And be sure to view our library for more pediatric chat programs. I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.